0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. We are now officially in the post-election season, but we liked our Zoomer vote panel so much we are making it permanent with a broader focus and an expanded lineup to include CARF's Chief Policy Officer, Marissa Lennox, along with Zoomer Magazine's Peter Mugridge and Zoomer VP David Kravitz, And we are now christening you the zoomer squad wonderful (laughs) okay so david david and peter are with me in the studio and marissa is at home nursing a scratchy throat after trying to talk to politicians till she was blue in the face (laughs) (laughs) and of course many zoomers believe they were completely ignored in this federal campaign meanwhile we have the provincial legislature Mm. resuming after Five months on hiatus. So what does it all mean and what's next? Let's start with you, Marissa.
2: Yeah, so I think, um, and I, I, excuse my voice, to all your listeners, <laughs> I think uh, what we heard really from throughout the election and in the fallout of the election is that seniors were angry that they were ignored this election season. There's a lot going on and it feels like they're being ignored. It feels like their issues are being ignored. It feels like they're falling through the cracks. So, for example, you know, six people every day are abused in long-term care homes. And staff on resident violence has got up 158%, okay? We also know that more seniors will line up at the food bank this year because they're having their pensions cut. Meanwhile, Sears executives walked away unscathed. Uh, we know that our hospitals are so overcrowded. We have patients in hallways, patients waiting 24 hours coming into ER. These are some of the issues that I think humors are feeling and would have liked to have seen addressed in that federal election. And they weren't, it was, it was silence really. And so as I, as I said sort of right off the top, I think just generally speaking, what I'm hearing from people is that they were just angry that they were frankly ignored.
1: Okay, before I move on to David, I want to give the numbers out again, and uh, Zoomers out there, voters, we want to hear from you about what you want to see happening going forward, and also if you have some analysis on what this means, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 And David, all of that true, but... Um, our demographics still chose to vote for a liberal government, albeit a reduced liberal government. What was the reason for that? There were a few liberal goodies.
3: There was goodies from all the parties. But if you think back to 2015, Justin Trudeau in that election made a much heavier play for the seniors a vote than mm-hmm. he did this time, and I think that he
4: came to carp too, he didn't he? To yes, too.
3: Yeah. And I think the lesson for both the liberals and conservatives, being the only two parties that could have won the election, is that I think that the uh, failure to address the so- uh, seniors' vote, I st- more strongly cost uh, Trudeau a majority, and it cost Sheer the election. Both parties could have improved um, even a slight amount would have tipped the balance. They didn't go after that vote. They sat back and let events happen. And I think they both paid a price in very different ways.
1: Well, yeah, because in terms of conservatives, and in a lot of ways, conservatives seem to be a natural constituency for older people. They used to be. They used to be, and sometimes, depending on which conservatives you're talking about, they are. And the interesting thing is... That, um, you know, uh, the, they were really, really targeting millennials. And there are some constituencies where zoomers have a natural alliance with so for instance during the campaign i talked to the canadian cancer society and their big issue was they really want to people people who have cancer i mean it's not even thought of end up with huge financial hardships if they can't work and they want to align sick leave federal benefits with with what uh maternity leave is or parental leave whatever you want to call it and that wasn't happened. And again, you know, I see that as a kind of demographic issue.
3: It is a demographic issue. It's also, do the party see the seniors vote? And they do right now as an a la carte item. Give them this, give them that. Did you check the box yet? Oh, no, we didn't check that one yet. What are we going to get bang? And you move on. There's no party that's saying that the that longevity, that aging—the good parts of it, the challenging parts of it—is actually a mega issue for society mm-hmm. as a whole.
4: But these these war room guys—they—they they, uh, you know—they parse the numbers right down. Why? Sure. Why aren't they? Why aren't they seeing that? You know, like like it, it seems like a huge oversight, and and they're they're not into oversights.
1: Well, know? it's it's because last time millennials came out to vote for Justin Trudeau, right. this time they were probably disillusioned with him. I I think that maybe the older vote is a vote that that the parties just simply take for granted. Right.
3: No, but I want to jump on something Peter said about the insiders not paying attention. We did an analysis after the last election. The millennial vote based on post-surveys that are still a few weeks away here, but last time, 2015, there was a 20-point margin for the liberals among the youngest age group, and that translated to a gain of about 400,000 votes. There was only an eight-point margin for uh, Trudeau among the older voters, and that was almost 300,000 votes. So, Twenty points among the millennials was barely worth more than eight points mm-hmm. among the older group. We shared that analysis. I know this for a fact with Andrew Shears' people. Say so you can't afford even a small erosion in the older vote. Cost you way more votes than a big bump among the younger but vote, they and they didn't act on it
4: well no. I, i've been around yeah. these uh and they didn't act on it. these aides, and they're they're all in their 20s you know it's, yeah. it's a very young business it's a it's a young person's business you know yeah. and and there might just be myopia you know they, they might just be seeing their own needs and and just forgetting well yeah
1: that. and i mean we know that for the first time the actual size of the pool of voters millennials beat out Boomers, but
3: doesn't mean they vote. It doesn't
1: mean they vote. <laughs> it doesn't mean they vote. Now, uh, Marissa, the provincial legislature in Ontario, just going back, and of course, the vast majority of health care items is. Rests with them. And, you know, they, he, it's, it's interesting because we get these things in really little dribs and drabs. The health minister keeps making announcements. You know, she's added a few beds here and a bit of this. And we know they're in transition because they are completely changing the system. Mm-hmm. So what are your priorities to do with that? And, um, you know, have you been consulted?
2: Actually, we have. Um, we actually met with um, the folks responsible for the new health teams. That'll be rolled out over the course of the next few months. So that'll be interesting. Those are basically going to be replacing the CCACs. I do think that there is an appetite among the Ontario Conservatives to fix health care, to fix uh, hallway medicine. Uh, they certainly talk about it a lot. They talk about um, wanting to invest in more long-term care beds. What I would say is, you know, when are we going to build the new long-term care homes? Where are these new beds going to go? And why is isn't there a shovel in the ground right now, what's taking so long? And that, I think, is the biggest frustration that a lot of Zoomers are feeling is like, we need to address these issues now. You know, there are people waiting in hospitals recovering from pneumonia or whatever it is that they're in for. And they can't go home because there aren't enough home care supports. But they're being told they have to wait five to eight years to get into a long-term care home in Halton, for example. So what's happening? And Like, I think, as I said, there's an appetite to create change. And I think that there's an appetite there for systemic change in the health system, not just a matter of throwing $5 million at this population problem five million dollars is that problem. But at the same time, what's it taking so long? Why does it take well, so long?
1: And, and it's it's interesting. I'm just dealing with a, a case that's close close to home where, you know, I talked to the health minister and she cites numbers and home care yeah. dollars being yeah. increased. But then on the ground, I mean, I think part of it is the distance between the people who are handling this on the ground and the people on high who are making the changes on the ground, patients being told, I'm sorry, we can no longer do this for you or that for you because of cutbacks, when, you know, it's not even a partisan thing. The people have to say, well, there were no
2: cutbacks. So, I don't know. <laughs> no, and the system as it exists is really broken, right? Like you, you need to understand how the system works, and you need to be a real advocate for yourself in order to get what it is that you need in order to meet your needs. Like I was speaking to someone fairly recently who takes care of her husband with dementia, and he can't get into long-term care, so she cares for him um, throughout the week, and she has one PSW coming in every Monday through Friday in the morning. So that's it. And so, what happens if she has to get her nails done or her hair done, or if she has to go to her Rotary Club meetings, which she does. She brings him with her. And what happens is she brought him to her uh, last Rotary Club meeting. He fell down the stairs and cracked his ribs and ended up in the hospital. It was only then that CCAC finally said, okay, we'll give you some respite hours. Why does it have to take, like, why do we have to get to that breaking point before there's actually, you know, some change that happens? And so I think that, like, those are some really serious issues that are happening in the system. Yeah, just in case
1: uh, anybody thinks this trivial, you mentioned doing her nails or her hair. I mean, it's really important for caregivers to get a little bit of respite and to take care of themselves whatever that entails because if not they're going to burn out
2: that's absolutely right no one should have to uh, have their health affected at the expense of taking care of someone else right
1: so so what are you who are you talking to at queens park and what are you telling them Well, we've
2: been... So as I said, we had a... Actually, earlier this week, we met with the Ontario Health teams. We shared some of the stories. We talked about some of the problems with um, human health resources. Like, there's a shortage of bodies. There's a shortage of people even wanting to enter into becoming a PSW, for example. We've got a real PSW shortage.
1: Well, Um, excuse me, but they are paid badly and their working conditions are terrible.
2: No, you're right. You you hit the nail on the head. Um, And so... Uh, so, what is the government doing about that? Uh, there seems to be there wasn't. Uh, you know, I I probably shouldn't um, disclose too much of my conversation, but I but I can say we did address some of those some of those very real issues with them, um, and it's it's uh, w- we're at a point where I think that there will be many more conversations ahead.
3: I just want to add one thing because I work closely with Marissa on communicating Man. all this that we we our C A R P is shifting. Uh, or focusing more intensively on healthcare now, and will be in the in the coming year. And the goal is to make healthcare an issue that has political consequences. And until these people understand, they will be fired, they will be turned out of office unless they fix it. It becomes. Uh, and I've been around CARP for a long time. I'm the CARP board, you know, decade of Band-Aids, of, of little yeah. ad hoc. Canada is fourth highest in spending on health care of all the OECD countries. We're fourth from the top in spending. Near the bottom in results, the people that are running it have enough money and are not achieving what other countries are achieving, and it's time... For all of your listeners out there to get angry and call CARB because we want to channel that anger into putting the fear of losing an election around this one issue. Because they
4: they got away without talking at this election, didn't they? Yeah, and they got
3: away with it. And now let's see whether they succeed in getting away with it next
2: Let me just piggyback on what David's saying just very quickly. CARB is taking a good, long, internal look in the mirror right now to wondering and asking ourselves, have we been too patient and have we been too kind with these politicians? We keep telling them that this demographic is growing, that there are serious holes in the system, that people are falling through the cracks. And all I'm saying now is that, you know, we just came through a federal election. Seniors were barely mentioned. That's not going to happen again. Uh, we are going to be louder than ever. Um, but we do need the support of all of your listeners um, to join CARP so that, so that we can make sure that when CARP speaks, they will listen.
1: Uh, No more Ms. Nice Guy. Let's take a call from Tina in St. Catharines. Hi, Tina.
5: Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. I was uh, referring to the uh, election and how people voted in Ontario, and they're really um, wrong to not pander to the zoomers because we're not our last generation's grandmothers. We all worked. We were all aware of what's going in. And going on with the politics, and we influence a lot of people. In my case, there are six people in my family. We sat dinner before the election. A couple of my grandkids are voting for the first time, and we discussed among us um, what the strategic voting we needed to do to get the results we want. The kids were all for the Green Party and the NDP, and I said, that's fine, but let's wait till they have some numbers. And if we don't want conservatives in, and they know all the cuts and all the cuts have affected me, I'm in my mid 70s. And we discussed, and they don't realize we just don't vote ourselves. We vote, we influence all the people around us, all the family and people we discuss this. I have a, a group that I exercise with, and we discuss that very thoroughly about. Which way we should vote? What would be best for us? So they're they're ignoring for each senior. They're ignoring at least six to ten other people that get influence. That's, that's a very
1: good point. point. Um, Seniors
4: as influencers, right? Like that's that's never mentioned, is it? Right.
1: Well, yeah. yeah. Um, again, I think uh, when you're talking about the people in the war rooms being in their twenties, it's just have to make them aware of this. <laughs> Tina, thanks very much for your call. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay, uh, there's a point that I wanted to make about the home care crunch and the problems uh, with getting PSWs because the working conditions are so bad. I, I really think we need some kind of fresh thinking because the people who critique this on the other side said – The problem is you need to unionize and and bring in union rules. And they say the problem is that there are a lot of small companies like middlemen. And I agree that might be a problem because if I uh, even privately reach out to a home care company, I will pay double what they're at least double that what they're paying the actual worker. And, and uh, even more is that if, uh, if somebody has their schedule and it includes Mrs. Smith and suddenly Mrs. Smith goes into the hospital or long-term care, that person isn't even guaranteed those hours. So uh, have you come up with any kind of fresh thinking on how to approach this? Is, is it Does it have to be either that or, or heavy unionization? The Liberals were going to uh, empower a union before they were
2: defeated, an SEIU, I believe. So, some of the conversations we've had with folks um, at uh, the ministry is they have uh, they're what they're thinking about is maybe even um, they're just being you may not need uh, the level of skill required to have the PSW designation to do a lot of the home care responsibilities. So, sometimes it's just a matter of sending someone in for respite. So that they can sit there and be with that individual, so the person doesn't need to be alone. So the, that that caregiver then doesn't need that same level of skill that a PSW would have, for example. So that might be one way to reduce some of the burden on the system. I can't speak to specifically whether or not they should be unionized. I, uh, I doesn't necessarily I'm i just saying that those that two, one,
1: those two uh, sort of opposites seem to be the only options out there. Um, that's very interesting. But I do
2: think that we need to have an honest conversation about whether or not PSWs ought to have a raise. So that we can incent people to come into this industry to do this important. Well,
1: exactly. No, they definitely, they definitely need. The, it's very hard work. Oh yeah,
2: and, uh, and, and they're,
1: they're
4: they're all working fifty, sixty hours to make to pay the bills. Right? And yeah. I
1: mean, there's there's nonsense in there where they don't get paid for their travel time. Yeah, and yeah. no, no, no. They they definitely anyway. they need and they deserve but what, better but what, working it, conditions. But what
3: you need, which we're not seeing, yeah. is to work backwards from the patient, from the client. And if yeah. like, if you take a look at the whole landscape, what yeah. they do, what the government always does is they work from their bureaucracy outward let's add this let's cut this mm. let's drop it but if you look the other way around you say first of all the n- number of family caregivers is enormous it's 20 or 30 billion dollars worth of saving to the health care system for un- actually it's 66 billion 66, $66. billion sorry, thank you marissa and five years out of, uh, of saving okay second of all there was already a plethora of solutions on offer with or without the government. We just had the Zoomer show this past weekend at the uh, Care Center at the CNE, and there were several companies that are providing home care. You could argue for a fee. You could argue only affordable by some. They're in the play uh there's uh, so they 're there whether the mm-hmm. government wants them or not, so nobody seems to me to be looking at the the total landscape. Who are the caregivers? what do they need, as Marissa said, what is the continuum of service? What can be delivered at a lower level at a medium yeah. level if i If I tripled or quadrupled the amount of money in the pockets of caregivers and let them shop for solutions, partly government, partly private, which already exists. They just don't appear to be taking a, a sort of an overall look at the whole landscape. That's always bits and pieces. And when you deal in bits and pieces, you get the confusing, fragmented mess right. that we have now. Well, and it,
1: it's interesting because uh, I was talking to a friend about her mother, and, and her mother has... You know, the equivalent of what Larissa was, Marissa was suggesting, and it's an informal situation. It's somebody who is not particularly trained, but comes in to help her wash her hair or do some cleaning in the house, or help her get dressed, that kind of thing. And that's affordable
2: because it's not covered. But the other part of the equation, as David mentioned, is family caregivers. And they play such a crucial role in helping our health system as we mentioned earlier 66 billion dollars but the supports for caregivers are woefully inadequate i mean almost virtually non-existent i know we have this thing called a canada caregiver credit but god the conditions and the rules around who can qualify for this for example the dependent can only make up to $16,000. It doesn't have to do with the caregiver. It's the, the qualification is on whether or not the dependent earns a certain amount of income. And then as for the caregiver, that person can't be earning, or that person must earn income. So those that need supports the most, the ones that have had to give up their full-time employment to provide care, don't receive anything. On top of that, their CPP goes down because they're not paying into the system. I mean, there are so many holes uh, that we didn't see addressed in this federal election, and I'd like to see addressed by by someone. I'd like to see some leadership at the federal level and even the provincial level on how we're going to address these challenges.
1: And uh, what about the whole, I mean, the elections are over. I know that provincially this government has said we're on reset, we're, we're going to be kinder and gentler, but th- there aren't elections coming up for a long time now. Will that make them listen less or listen more, David?
3: Well, I think if you take a look at what CARP's got planned for, I think it's New Brunswick uh, the year after next, Saskatchewan, um, is it Saskatchewan next year? We're going to defeat some people on healthcare. And that might be the strongest signal we can send to Doug Ford three years from now, is if we uh, throw some people out two mm-hmm. years from now and create a bit of a uh, a, a prairie fire. And that's what we're going to try to some, do. Until, until they understand that health care will be the key to electoral victory or defeat,
4: like like the environment is now yes, almost. Yes.
3: We are yeah. going to make health, our goal at CARP is to make health care the key to winning or losing a provincial election. And when the Conservatives in Ontario, we are equal opportunity opponents, we hmm. hate <laughs> all parties equally for the Uh, horrible state of the health care it's not an ideological or a party thing if you're an incumbent you better fix health care or you won't be an incumbent anymore
1: and marissa you said that on the one hand you're looking in the mirror deciding you've been too nice but on the other (laughs) hand uh you know there is this transition to these ontario health teams so do you give them a chance like how do you navigate those two
2: extremes actually look i I think that, as I said in the beginning, I think that there is an appetite for real systemic change at the Ontario level. And I think we're seeing it with these health teams. I'm optimistic. I'm not about to sit here right now and say they're not, they're going to fail. I'm hopeful that they're successful. I want them to be. And that's why CARPs in negotiations, or not negotiations, rather, we're in conversations with the government to make sure that they're successful so that everyone benefits at the end of the day. We're nonpartisan. We're willing to work with every single party at all levels of government. For example, just next week, I'm going out to Alberta to meet with the health minister, Minister Shandr out there, talk to him a little bit about the situation with long-term care and some of the other priorities that CARP has on its agenda. So, like, we're active from coast to coast to coast. We want to work with everybody and we want to have conversations and share some of the stories that we're hearing from our our CART members so that we can make the system a better place for everyone.
1: Okay, so uh, David, uh, tell me a little bit about the the shift in tone. Well,
3: I I think the shift in tone is going to be toward uh, demanding outcomes based on what other countries with single-payer health care are achieving with less dollars so the the in a sense there's been a bit of a con here frankly on healthcare is that the bureaucrats and again I'm blaming all parties equally they always are pointing to the united states look at the big bad united states oh my gosh mm-hmm. we don't want to be like them you know this terrible comparable we don't okay? <laughs> and that's but it's true not but, uh, but as long as i can keep you looking south of the border you're not looking at the other OECD yep. countries that are spending less per as a percentage of GDP, and getting better results. So why are the wait times here so long? Why does it take so long to see a surgeon? Why aren't we as good as Germany and Australia and the Netherlands and Sweden and France? That's who we should be looking at because they're achieving. They have single-payer systems, and they're achieving better results. Some of
1: those countries have... Uh, mixed systems. Yes, they also have yes. private healthcare, uh, which is a big no-no in Canada.
3: Right. Well, as long as you keep it only ideological, and as long as you don't leverage you know, new technologies and better information systems to deliver better outcomes, the Zoomer generation of today wants the outcomes. We do like the idea of single-payer. We do like the idea that nobody's life should be at risk just because they can't pay. But balanced against that is what are we getting for these high tax dollars and if we're going to cut maybe we should cut all the overpaid bureaucrats that are failing to <laughs> deliver what other countries are able that's the key other countries are delivering this so if they're delivering that and we're not maybe it's time to show a few people the door and that's going to be uh, the change in our tone
1: Okay, <laughs> Peter, what what are reading, reading between the lines? What are Zoomer yeah. Magazine readers saying?
4: Well, you know we we have done stories on medical tourism, and um, they've had in, incredible feedback. Like a lot of people interested, and in a lot of people have done it, and people are going to Thailand to get uh, knee and hip operations, and they're going to Buffalo to get MRIs, and they're, you know, it. it we do sort of have this private urge, but um, it's. You know, people are spending out of their own pockets and going to different countries. So it's there. Uh, the system is broken. They all know it. And no one's no one's talking about it.
3: Doctors are sending still sending faxes to pharmacies. Right. Oh, yeah, Canada. I know. We've
1: yeah. talked about that. That's I know. Just but it's, crazy. It's insane. <laughs> well, and part of the problem are, are um, you know, I was talking to the, the new head of the Ontario Medical Association. Or the And he was talking about the hoops that he had to jump through to be able to use email. Exactly. And um, it seemed yeah. kind of crazy. Uh, yeah. Some, I mean, my doctors communicate with me with email. That's, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, and he's, that's he's rare, well, he's probably 79 or yeah. something, but, you know, I, I, I would not, I, he better not retire because I'm yeah. not dealing with anybody yeah. who won't and, email me and,
3: and the key again we're we're asking for things that already exist in other systems we're not right. saying canada should be the first to go paperless <laughs> it's no. never happened yeah. before it's happening everywhere but here <laughs> and and yet we're paying top dollar we're constantly being told how wonderful our system is it's a part of canadian identity that separates us from the big bad americans yeah but you know what at the end of the day top dollar spent bottom outcome achieved Somebody's head has to roll. Do
4: you do you think that's going to be a difficult uh, equation to put before people to get them to understand? Or, or I think
3: we're going like to try they're, they're real all, hard. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to try
1: yeah. real hard. Okay, we are uh, starting to run out of time for today, Marissa. What would you like to leave us with?
2: Uh, two thoughts. The first is uh, this tone that David keeps referring to. It's not fabricated. It's it's real. It's the tone we hear from our members in emails and in surveys. They're fed up. They're frustrated. So we're just trying to sort of um, express that to, to to our to our elected officials. Um, the second is on the comment about. Using technology, leveraging technology. There are countries that are doing it way better. For example, Israel, you, you know, your health card is your health record. So you can go in anywhere, you can swipe it and boom, up cuts your health record. And in Canada and in Ontario, we have this patchwork system where pharmacists have health records, doctors have health records, hospitals have health records, and no one's talking to anyone. So that creates a, like, a big problem in the system because it wastes a lot of our time. Um, so that would just be maybe, those are my two final thoughts there. (laughs)
1: Okay, David.
3: Well, I think that, um, Looping it back to the election, we had a, a, a election where the insiders might study these results and say, boy, if we'd only gotten a few more seniors' votes, if I'm a liberal, we could have had a majority. Mm. They are 15 seats short. Yeah. The conservatives might have picked up 15, 20 more seats if they'd paid a little more attention to our demographic. Yeah. Maybe there's a lesson there. But if there isn't, we will drive that lesson home in, in the future uh, very aggressively on the CARP side of things. Mm.
1: And Peter?
4: Um well, basically, what I'm watching is is the future of Andrew Shearer. Whether he um, he survives as leader, um, I I think he ran a terrible <laughs> terrible election, and um, he's got a lot to answer for. He did well enough with the results, but he could have done a lot better. Seniors being one of them, that it was a huge oversight, and uh, so I, I'm I'm watching for his future.
1: Okay, well, that's going to be a big topic going forward, too. Uh, But right now, that's all the time we have. We will see you all again next week. That's our Zoomer squad, Marissa Lennox, David Kravitz, and Peter Mugridge. Thank Thank you.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.